0: This EB5 Superheroes episode is sponsored by FMB EB5 Hope. FMB EB5 is bringing hope to downtown Los Angeles and EB5 investors who believe in the American dream. Visit FMBEB5.com to learn more and speak with EB5 superhero Matt Trush to join an EB5 project today. Episode 14 EB5 superhero Sam Udani, law publisher and CEO of ILW.com and Immigration Daily.
1: You're listening to the EB5 Superheroes Podcast. Join host Matt Trush as he interviews the EB5 industry's courageous men and women. Leaders protecting the path to the American dream for the good guys and foiling the sinister plots of the not-so-good guys. Billions of dollars and families' lives are at stake. Go behind the scenes as our EB5 superheroes tell their stories of triumph against adversity, paving a brighter future for EB5. And now, financial engineer industry expert, an EB-5 superhero. Matt Trush. Welcome to the EB5 Superheroes
0: Podcast. I'm Matt Trush, your host. For those of us living in the EB5 world, we've grown thick skin and learned to buckle up tight for the roller coaster ride we lovingly call EB5. EB5 is an incredible federal program that has brought tens of billions of dollars to the U.S. economy, created hundreds of thousands of new jobs, and helped countless families legally immigrate to the U.S. But it's been a bumpy ride, to say the least. There have been cases of fraud, swinging pendulums of regulatory uncertainty, unnecessary long processing times, program sunsets, and even twilight. But today we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. EB-5 can once again become the best and fastest and most stable letter combinations in the alphabet of U.S. immigration paths. EB-5 can regain its highly competitive position versus other countries' immigration investment programs. EB-5 is poised to navigate America out of another economic downturn. Now is the time, more than ever, for the good guys to... And good gals to make the dream a reality again for those who believe in EB5 and the American Dream. Meet the EB5 superheroes who are on the front lines making positive change, the courageous leaders who are shaping the course of EB5 for good and triumphing against adversity. Get the inside scoop, hear their stories, learn from real life successes and failures. Billions of dollars and families' lives are at stake. Join me in welcoming Sam Udani, law publisher and CEO of ILW.com and Immigration Daily. AB5 superhero Sam Udani Welcome to the EB-5 Superheroes Podcast.
2: Delighted to be here, man.
0: Sam, even though your reputation precedes you, and everyone in the EB-5 industry I'm sure knows you, let me brag about you just a bit. Sam Udani serves as the law publisher and CEO of ILW.com and Immigration Daily, the leading immigration law publisher with tens of thousands of subscribers. His publications provide over 50,000 pages of free information on immigration law that receives 250,000 visitors per month. ILW is known in the industry to host hundreds of custom expos and roadshows in the U.S. and across the globe, where potential EB-5 investors meet directly with select regional centers and projects to learn more about the EB-5 process and projects firsthand. Just to share a few ILW statistics, ILW has hosted over 600 continuing legal education seminars for immigration attorneys. ILW has published over 25 books on immigration law, published with 300 immigration attorneys as authors. One third of all active EB-5 projects are ILW clients. ILW has held over 350 EB-5 Five events in China, India, Taiwan, Vietnam, Turkey, you name it. ILW has also held over 120 in person H1B to EB5 events across the USA. During COVID, ILW held over 15 online H1B to EB5 events, as well as over 15 online webinars for India, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, Turkey, South Africa, on and on. Moreover, ILW held over 50 Chinese student events and international student events in many campuses and cities across the USA. Sam has been an EB-5 industry leader for nearly 30 years. Sam's business, as I see it, is EB-5 recession-proof, like selling popcorn at the movie theaters. It doesn't matter whether the film is a horror film or blockbuster, ILW is there providing critical knowledge and services to the range of EB-5 industry professionals and prospective investors. Beyond English, Sam also speaks Hindi, Gujarati, Samarati, and some French. My good friend and EB5 superhero, Sam Udani, welcome again to the show.
2: Oh, my goodness. That's quite a buildup. It's going to take some living up, to.
0: It's all true, Sam. So, Sam, tell us a little bit about how you became the leading immigration law publisher and how you got into EB5.
2: Okay, those are two separate questions. And uh, the first one is more broadly about immigration. So, I'll keep it a little briefer. But how I got into EB5, I'll be a little bit more expansive because I suspect your audience would be more interested in that. So, as far as immigration is concerned, I co-founded an ad agency that was focused uh, on immigration attorneys, and immigration-related compliance advertising. And that's what we did for about in the 1990s. I wanted to always uh, get into publishing. I sent my first email in 1987, and I really liked the amazing new medium. I was all over the internet long before there was a World Wide Web, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, I said, this is fantastic. This is a great publishing medium. With one click, you can reach thousands of people. You don't have to pay for paper. You don't have to pay for printing. You don't have to pay for postage. you know. And it's so quick. You don't have to wait for the mail to get delivered. It gets to people in literally seconds. I said, this is incredible, and I want to be uh, involved in online publishing. But at the same time, I had made a lot of connections uh, in the immigration field over the ten, over the 1990s for almost 10 years. And I like the people. People in the immigration field are, are most of them are very uh, friendly people, uh, happy people, like to do what they do. You know, immigration attorneys are, in my acquaintance have been, you know, uh, very positive people about what they, the change they are able to help people with in, the, in, in achieve in their lives. So I wanted to stay in immigration. I kind of compromised. I got into online publishing. But I also didn't leave immigration online publishing. And that's what ILW is. And uh, that's what we've been doing. And we continue to do publishing. So now let's talk about how we got an ev 5 because it's a continuation of the story. We did all those CLE seminars. We published a large number of books. Uh, we published um, a tremendous amount of free information on the internet. And, you know, what happened with American publishing industry is what happened with us in the 2009 recession. The American publishing industry, just like all the other industries, experienced a decline in sales. That's what happens in recessions, right? And what happens to most industries is as you come out of the recession, the sales go back up. And that's what all of us in the American publishing industry thought would happen to us. It didn't because the consuming habit of the American consumer, in fact, of the global consumer of media changed. people moved from legacy media to digital media. And digital media is, of course, all of us consume an enormous quantity of it. There's no question. But most people's willingness, almost everyone's willingness to pay for the same identical content in digital format, is only a small fraction, a very small fraction of what they'd want to pay for that content in conventional legacy media. So that being like print or television or whatever. So as a consequence, what's happened to the American publishing industry since that recession till today is that our industry has lost three quarters of its inflation adjusted revenues and three quarters of its jobs. And that includes companies like New York Times, Walt Disney Company, everything. All the big American publishers, you know, overall, if you add up the small publishers, the medium, the large, all of them put together, the industry has been through a ghastly time and it's never going to change. It's just that uh, we are all migrating towards digital at various speeds and uh, the conventional industry is on its way to extinction in large To a large extent. Now, we suffered like everybody else. And, you know, our publishing revenues kept going down year after year after year after year. And anyway, to cut a long story short, we've never given up on publishing. We still do publishing. We have published, for example, several editions, I think four or five or six of the EB5 book. We're coming out with a new one very shortly with the new act, uh, all about the EB-5 Reform and Integrity Act. But um, we had to accept the fact that publishing is now going to be a very small fraction of our revenues. And that's the case today. So how do we survive? And what do we do? We had to look for a way to reinvent ourselves. And what we did was we transformed ourselves from a publishing company to a marketing company, which is a very similar skill set. It's not as much of a migration as one might think. It's a very similar skill set. And we've done, you know, in various kinds of marketing. I mean, we've, you name it, it's not just events. We've done, um, you know, radio, we've done television, we've done brochures, we've done newspapers, we've done magazines, we've done newsletters. I mean, we've done websites, you, you name it, we've done it all. There are a few things we haven't done. Hot air balloons. We haven't done skywriting.
0: Yes. Right? So,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Never said never. But anyway, the point is that there are a few forms. Of so we, we really tried all kinds of marketing, but we found ourselves gravitating to a form of marketing, which is called experiential marketing, which is the same thing as events where we create an experience so that uh, it's memorable and it achieves the impact that the folks who pay us for the events are designed, uh, you know, they want designed to create. So that's what we do. We do experiential marketing and uh, that kind of event marketing we have done for many areas of immigration, not just dd 5 So, for example, after DACA came out um, in 2012 under President Obama, we did in the first three months after DACA, maybe four months after DACA, more than 50 DACA events across the country in many places, I think over 20 cities. At I the time, we, yeah, we didn't think about that. We, we didn't think much about that. And later on, we learned that that was more than any other organization or institution in the United States, except For the Catholic Church. And if you're number two to the Catholic Church, you're doing pretty good. (laughs) Right. So that's what we did in terms of events. But gradually what we found ourselves doing, because organizing experiential events is an incredibly expensive proposition. And, you know, to find the value in that kind of proposition is only possible where you or is largely possible, not only possible, but largely possible where there is a high payoff. And which is the case in the EB-5 world because the fees involved are substantial. So we found ourselves gravitating towards EB-5 events. And um, since about 2012, uh, 2013, 14, somewhere around there, We've kind of exclusively focused on EB-5 events, of course, with keeping publishing alive. Uh, and we do occasionally other kinds of events in immigration, but it's mostly EB-5 events. And we've done over 375 events now in over 15, one five, 15 different countries across the world. So we do have a significant global footprint in EB-5. Uh, we've published EB-5 books, of course. We've done many EB-5 CLEs, of course. And uh, you know we have a list internally, we call it our EB-5 list, very large. And... Um, uh, it might be the largest in the industry.
0: How uh, many do you have on the list, Sam?
2: It's a large number. Uh, it's a very large number. Is that proprietary? But, <laughs> <laughs> the list is certainly proprietary, and we will put in not hundreds and hundreds of hours to make it, but thousands and thousands of hours. For sure. Maybe For maybe, sure. maybe even over ten thousand hours. And you're always
0: adding to the list, I believe. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes.
2: Uh, so what we do in that list is we send out, of course, it's our to announce our events and solicit sales from our folks who want to speak at the events uh, as projects, but. It's also intended to give people information. And, you know, we don't have any particular publishing schedule, publish irregularly. Sometimes we will do two or three in a week, and sometimes we won't do anything for a month. So it all depends, usually based upon the information needs of the industry. Industry needs a lot of information. We try to provide it. We also have a YouTube channel um, where we've we've been carrying a lot of uh, uh, free content. Uh, It's designed for professionals. It's not intended for investors, neither our list nor our YouTube channel. But, you know, again, we try to Get the uh, top minds in the field to talk about um, uh, various issues of current interest in in EB five. So that's what we do. I mean, we have a small team. We have uh, two teams in in uh, one in uh, Bombay, India, and one in New York City in Midtown, Manhattan. So that's uh, thank you for uh, letting me speak at such great length. But that's that's in a nutshell my immigration story and EB five story.
0: Sam, tell us what happens at one of these EB5 ILW events that you carry. Describe it for the, the regional centers, describe it for the projects, describe it for the potential investors who would who might want to attend.
2: Sure. So it looks like you want to give me extended answers. I mean, you, you want me to give you extended answers. Yeah, and I, I'm looking
0: for you to to tell us as, <laughs> as much as you'd like to share.
2: Yeah. Uh, be, be happy to, no problem. So unlike other folks in the industry, we do not do a multi-day or even full-day events. We do half day events. OK, we have found that um, it's easier for busy professionals such as agents in, in countries like Taiwan or investors who are high net worth individuals in countries like India. They find to make a commitment of half a day is a lot easier than to make a commitment of an entire day. Number one. Number two, we deliberately hold small scale events because what we have found is that the if you're intending anything beyond just introducing yourself, hi, I'm here, if you want something beyond that. Then uh, you need a little bit more intimate settings than is found in the manner in which uh, a lot of the other EB5 events across the world take place. In uh, you know, a crowd of 200 people, uh, you're a new agent and you want to introduce yourself to some project or vice versa, project to an agent. It's, it's a difficult proposition. So we always confine our events, have been much smaller. We have kind of for the last five, seven, six years, we've kind of standardized on four projects per event. That's it. So it's always four, which is a nice number. It's not too many. It's not too few. It is easier for people to build connections, obtain real information, have an in-depth conversation in that kind of intimate setting. The same thing is true for our investor events. And I'll I'll distinguish as to why we do both of those different ones in a a minute. But the investor events also, you know, we don't know a lot of the industry likes doing one-on-one meetings. And we've done many of those. I don't know how many, probably 100, 200 days worth of one-on-one meetings across the world, Um, maybe more. But point is that, uh, you know, that's those are sales meetings. We do marketing. And uh, there's a difference between sales and marketing and uh, uh, marketing precedes sales, you know? So we do mo- you know, small scale uh, investor events, usually 25, 30, 35 potential investors in, in a room. But they're screened,
0: to- they're serious investors. The people who sit down at an ILW event, they're really interested in, in considering the, the EB-5 opportunity.
2: Right? Well, they're making time for half of their day, right? And uh, it's not for a free lunch because we don't offer free lunches anyway, okay? And, you know, uh, just making the trip uh, and taking the time out of, I mean, a high net worth individual half a day is worth a lot, right? So, look, the bottom line is the results. Our clients get wires and they tell us when they get them and they tell us when they don't get them. And we take that feedback very seriously. We have only one standard we use to decide whether an event was successful or not. If our clients call us and say, we got wires, Great. If they say no, then it's not successful. End of story. There's no other standard. Now, it does take a little time. This is not, you're not buying a can of Coca Cola. It takes a little while to make the decision. How much? Well, that depends on the country. It could take it could take a few months. It, it all depends. So, why do we do two kinds of events? We call them B2B events, which are for professionals such as agents, and B2C events, which are for potential investors. You know, why do we call well, why do them differently? Well, it depends on local law. It depends on local law. So, for example, in, in certain countries, it is unlawful for us to organize events directly with investors. So, in most provinces in China, that is something that's against Chinese law. Now, You know, some people in China may not take Chinese law very seriously. We do. We have to. We are law publishers, so we before we go into any country, and this is true for every single country we have been in. We always check with an attorney who is licensed to practice law in that country as to what we should do, right? And uh, they give us a list of dos and don'ts. So we stick to that. And as law publishers for of long standing, we usually have good connections and are able to understand how to lawfully conduct an event in in various countries. So, in many countries, we've been told not to do investor events by the various uh, you know authorities in charge of. Deciding how such events should be conducted. And we don't do them in those countries. We will only do professional events. So sometimes they get surprised. We had one of the, we have been, you know, inspected in four different jurisdictions. We passed those inspections with flying colors. All the folks who came, inspectors who came, uh, left with f- big smiles on their faces, With in fact invited us back to their countries. Please come back to our country. We like what you do and you are welcome to continue doing it. But in one of the cases, very early on when we were starting, one of the law enforcement agencies, they, they just couldn't understand. They said, You mean to say that? that you're going to only do the event for, for people licensed, by, they, they were inside a ministry, the same ministry that it should be licensed, by people licensed by our ministry? I said, yes, they're the only ones we are inviting. So what are you going to do if an investor walks and wants to get registered? So I said, look, we, we don't have any means of checking the license, right? But we do ask them the question, number one. Number two, everyone is required to give the name, email address, and, and phone number. But he says, what happens if they say, well, I'm an investor from my country, and I had to check out the projects, I'd say, no, you're not allowed. And that's happened many times in countries such as China, Taiwan, Korea, Vietnam. We have turned away investors coming into our event unsolicited simply because they heard about it through word of mouth. And we turn them away. I mean, look, we do it politely. We don't want to break anyone's hearts. What we usually request is, for example, we had an investor who showed up in Beijing, if I remember, and she was weeping and crying and, and she, you know, she was desperate. We requested, uh, there, were, there was, uh, I think, an attorney who was going to be speaking and we said, would you please take five minutes and talk to this lady? We can't let in, because we'll be breaking local law. We won't do that. But we don't want to be heartless and turn away someone who has come with so much hope in their heart. Would you please mind talking to her for five minutes? Uh, we'll provide the interpreter. And he did have the conversation that seemed to comfort her, and she stopped crying. So, Thank God. Uh, wow. <laughs> right. So that's why the B2B events, the B2C events, we'll do wherever it's permitted, but we'll do them the way it's permitted, right? So that we have to be careful about that. We try to adhere to the law. I mean, Nothing we do can be hidden. We are very loud and visible everywhere we go. So we always presume that law enforcement will be at our events. We've had SEC folks come in and tell us that if we have an SEC.gov address. They've come to our events. We've had people from other American law enforcement agencies come to our events. We don't have any problem. The only thing I ask them when they walk in is, uh, are you an attorney? We are law publishers. And if someone is an attorney, even if they work for a government uh, agency, that makes no difference. Uh, There's no reason why an attorney cannot in a professional event uh, talk about the law, right? So especially if it's before a group of lawyers, for the CLE event, for example, right? Uh, So we are certainly not going to, listen to a government agency attorney who says, I don't want to speak of anything uh, because I can't bind my agency. You're not speaking for the agency. You're you're speaking as an attorney at law and you're talking about the law. What's wrong with a lawyer talking about the law? There's nothing wrong with that. You can't stop
0: them. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, you've seen EB-5 since inception to today. You've seen Mm -hmm. the new Reform and Integrity Act. What are your thoughts on it and, and the future for EB-5?
2: Okay. So two quick points in terms of the act itself. Look, Uh, there's many parts of it. There's Practically every industry person will tell you there are many parts they don't like. Uh, They'll all choose different parts, okay? Somebody will say, I don't like X. Another one will say, I don't like Y. And a third guy will say, I don't like Z. Well, that's actually a sign of good legislation. Doesn't end up pleasing anyone. That's not a bad thing. Number one. Number two, the industry has been waiting for this for a very long, a very long, and it's great to have it. So it's unquestionably a major positive For the industry, because it charts a way forward speaking in the broader immigration context. This is the first major immigration benefits legislation in 21 years, not first major, sorry, first benefits legislation in 21 years, the first benefit legislation of any kind that Congress has passed. So the dam has broken. And there's much immigration legislation right behind it. The EB-5 folks should be proud that they were the first ones in immigration to achieve this breakthrough because they have paved the path for people right behind them. There's a huge amount of immigration reform coming to the United States. It's been held back decades. Millions of people have left, led lives of misery these, in, in these decades that they've been waiting for Congress to act. And salvation is on its way, without a doubt. And that's because of the folks in the EB-5 industry. So thank you to everyone who worked to make this bill a law all the way back, going back to the 2014 timeframe, going back to the earliest efforts with Mr. Grassley and Mr. Leahy, uh, you know, continuing throughout the last decade and into this one. Thanks to all of you from everyone in the immigration community, because you deserve it and you got the the great victory that no one thought was possible. Now, what does it mean for the future?
0: Well, Sam, before you jump to that, it seems you're an EB-5, at least uh... A Reforms Act evangelist. That's great to hear. So <laughs> tell me, what specifically earns your praise in the new legislation?
2: Well, many things. Firstly, it aligns EB5 statutes with the policy that Congress has always wanted in Congress designed EB5 in 1990. And then, the you know, various it was designed as an investor program. And we were trying to cash in on the fact that there were many Hong Kong millionaires who were uncomfortable with the Chinese takeover of the colony from the British. And over of several years, you know, it was a program finding its way. It took a long time. And along the way, Congress decided uh, to make certain amendments. One amendment was to permit pooled investments, that, and, which would permit indirect and induced jobs. So the invention of regional centers was a later creation. It was not 1990. It was 93 or 94, thereabouts. But the other creation was the concept of a targeted employment area. So when that was created, what Congress did was reduce the amount, what was then a staggering $1 million, to half a million, which was still a lot of money, but at least a kind of money that that hopefully lead to more usage of the program, which it did eventually, you know, once the industry found its footing uh, more than a decade after uh, the idea was introduced. But the key point is that, look, Congress sets policy for them. And Congress's idea was right from the beginning of the TEA concept was to steer the money in a certain direction. Now, look, demand and supply Facts of life. We have to live with the markets, all of us. The markets are larger than any of us or all of us combined. I mean, you know, it's a huge thing, the markets are. And we have to adjust to them as we go along. But I think that Congress, especially when it comes to the border, has a tremendous amount, and one shouldn't be little the power of Congress to direct uh, where the funds should go. So over the years, what happened is that the targeted employment area concept was used in a manner inconsistent with Congress's vision for it. And essentially, 99% of the country was a TEA, which was never Congress's. So what the RIA does is dramatically change that on a much more sounder footing than the regulations would have if they had been lawfully you know, promulgated. The, the statute is positive now that this is what a TEA is it's a rural area. Or a certain kind of urban area, which is so narrowly defined, is to exclude almost all those gigantic towers that were built. The vast majority of the E. B. Five money was poured in. Okay, now that's Congress's intention. We may argue that Congress's intention is misplaced, but it would be folly in my mind to argue with Congress's power to do what they want to do. So yes, the forces of demand and supply remain where they are. Yes, investor preferences might continue to remain with those. Their hearts might remain with those giant towers. And you know, at 1.05 million, those towers are still available to them. It's not like those towers are closed off to investors. But if they want the lower amount, which now the differential is a lot lesser than before, the differential between 1.05 and eight hundred is a lot more reasonable than the differential between one million and a half million. But that 800,000 lower number specifically designed to drive investment into the places where Congress wants to see it go. You know, and look, the bottom line is it's most of it is going to end up in rural. And I'll tell you why. Not just because of the way the RIA is constructed. I'm still talking about the TEA. Their... Let, me,
0: let me interrupt you yeah. just to uh, yeah. give you a heads go. up. I'm fund manager now for a TEA project in downtown Los Angeles, which counts for the lower investment tier and is an attractive project as much as it was before. In fact, it qualified before it qualifies today. So just because there is this new steering towards certain areas, I would hope that the EB-5 investor community and even the EB-5 professionals in the industry should know that it's really not only rural projects that are going to get the lion's share of the EB-5 investment. I think it's definitely being incentivized. Set there's a 20% aside. set aside for rural, there's yeah. a 10% set aside for TEA, and 2% set aside for, for so,
2: infrastructure, projects.
0: infrastructure projects. So yeah. today, throughout the United States and TEAs, there are some very, very attractive projects like our project in downtown L.A., So I know you're about to talk about the value of rural projects and how you think it's going to get the The lion's share of EB-5 capital, and I'd love to hear your reasons for that. But I also want to just remind listeners that there's also the TEA projects and other projects infrastructure, et cetera, that are also very attractive, too.
2: Oh, no, no, no question. And remember, even if were not a TEA project in an urban area like Midtown Manhattan, like those giant towers, as I said, they are still available at 1.05, and the differential is not gigantic,
0: right? Right, but Sam, my yeah. project in downtown LA, the FMB EB-5 project, is an $800,000 project.
2: Right, right. No, no, of course. TEAs have not been eliminated from urban areas. They have been dramatically reduced. That's all. And as you likely put it, they can't be gerrymandered anymore. That's all. But, but anyway, let's come back. The reason why I think the roost in the long run is mostly because Congress intends that to happen, and mostly because the United States Senate, over the course of the entire history of the United States, more than a couple hundred years, has always been dominated by rural states. And that'll remain true for foreseeable future for our lifetimes, for sure. So my point is that in that sense, it's not bad. And why is it not bad to see lots of money going to rural America? Because it aligns the political vision of this program and the reality of the actual targets of investment. And that actually makes for a stronger program because politically you're not facing pushback all the time, you know, in terms of, okay, your industry sucks. We're going to have to reform it and maybe destroy it or whatever. So in that sense, that's why I like, that's one, I like the Reform and Integrity Act. Now the integrity provisions are supposed to be investor-friendly You know, I'm hopeful. Anything that leads to more disclosure, you know, to investors is, I think, a good thing. I don't think it's bad. It's better to have people who know what they're going into than to have unhappy people later. Um, I think it basically leads to more of a maturation of the industry. The industry is headed in a direction where it will have players who are much more serious because compliance is no longer so easy anymore. It is a tremendous amount of effort. And people who are not serious will probably not expend that effort, right? There have been especially, you know, some egregious things that have been happening, you know, particularly in China, will will have to change going forward. So that, I think, is a good thing, too. You know, we've been hearing horror stories of ev 5 fraud. I mean, overall, the fraud in this industry uh, is probably no more, as a percentage term, than any other securities industry. But, unfortunately... Because it's allied to immigration and because of unfortunate bad press that uh, has developed over the years, the perception is that, oh, there's there's a lot of fraud, which certainly doesn't match the reality. But nevertheless, everything we can do to reduce the fraud is a good thing. Agreed. So the RIA makes a lot of valiant efforts, and I'm hopeful that at least a few of them will actually succeed in changing the facts on the ground. I'm hopeful. It's a bit too early to tell, but I'm very hopeful. What else can I tell you, which is good about the act? Um, well, we have a longer lease on life. I mean, it's five years. It's not year to year anymore, so it's time to, you know, be able to do some long-term plan. You know, absolutely. And, and, yeah, the biggest uh, difference I think is that the rural projects will open up that set aside will open up areas of uh, the world which have been largely closed to EB five, mostly China, but also to some extent Vietnam and prospectively India. And, Speaking uh, of India. I
0: hate to interrupt you, Sam. No, no, go ahead, please.
2: Please go ahead. Speaking
0: of India, I've heard you say that you believe that Indian investors are going to be the largest market for EB-5 going forward. Tell me Uh, your reasons for saying such a statement.
2: Yes and no. Let me explain. You are correct that that's what I have said for many, many years. And that, in fact, is what has happened. I was all gung ho about India back in 2000, what, 14, 15, 16. And everyone thought I was crazy because they said it's going to be China. And I would point out to people, many people across the industry, oh, more than hundred for sure. I pointed out, I said, wait a second, there is something called an immigration quota. And once China hits that, and then people are forced to wait, it's going to be a problem. And people said, no, 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 we're going to get Congress to raise that quota. Are you kidding me? Are you think Congress is going to say no investment coming in? I said, look, folks, it's not about investment coming in. This is about immigration. And it, it, that's a completely different topic. And Congress has a totally different, you know, chemistry when it comes to immigration. It's going to take a long time to get those quotas fixed. And they would say, Oh, you don't understand anything, you know, you don't understand the power of money, you don't understand the meaning of access. Uh, you know, we talked to Senator X, Senator Y, Senator Z, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were just stone-deaf and they wouldn't listen. Well, it turned out. Both my predictions were correct. Number one, the quota situation hit China hard and eventually took some time because the, you know, there was a lot of people out there on the ground in China doing everything they could to convince people that the quota didn't matter, right? But uh, eventually it reduced that market by what, about 90% or some thereabouts, right? In a few years. Huge
0: impact, huge impact.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on top of that, the place was taken by India to a large extent, not entirely, but by India. And it did become number one. If you look at the USCI statistics for incoming 526s from 2018 onwards, India has been number one country, but not with the same amount of dominance that China had. China at its height was around, I don't know, around close to 85 percent of the world market. India, I think even in the last two or three years when it's been very large, has been barely 50 percent of the world market. All right. So and that includes Indians in India, Indians in other countries like the Middle East and Indians in America. Of course. But so it's in many different countries, but people born in India have definitely been the single largest component of the EB5 field but not as dominant as China. But is that true going forward? I'm not so sure. Tell us I'm what not- do you think,
0: Sam? Everybody loves to hear what Sam has to say about. It. The reason is because all of your statements are based with facts and statistics and uh, you're a mathematical mind and we all really do pay attention to your prognostication, if I can call it that.
2: Sure. So I'll give you a global tour quickly, if you don't mind, because that Great. will put the context around it. Look, first of all, we have to understand that uh, different countries have been growing at different rates, right? The total amount of wealth in a country is a very important part of making a conclusion as to where Tomorrow's EB5 investors are going to come. Also one must bear in mind that if a country is really tiny and it could be extremely wealthy like Brunei, you know, in Southeast Asia, uh, on a per capita basis is enormous, but it's a very tiny country. I mean, it's just as much per capita as, as Kuwait or Bahrain or Qatar, but uh, because it's also an oil exporter. But the point is that that is such a tiny population that it doesn't make it a major source of EB-5 capital. On the other hand, there are countries such as France and Germany, which have very high per capita GDP, have significant populations, but no real incentive to go the EB-5 route because many other alternative routes if they, for people who want to immigrate are available. So you got to look at multiple factors, population, GDP, growth of GDP, and reasons to move. Now, unfortunately, most of the industry focuses only on that last one, which is reasons to move. So I've seen a lot of folks from the industry go to very strange places. You know, every single one of those cases, they have come up short because they ignored the first three. The first three are population GDP and GDP growth rate. So we have to expect that there will be some nice, surprising new countries with you know, which would be medium sized, in, not in the top five, maybe not in the top 10, but in the top 15 for capital coming up in the next few years, for sure. And the way to find those out, those this is not a secret. You can look at the World Factbook published by the CIA, or you can look at many other international sources available online from the World Bank, for example, and look up these three numbers, and you'll be able to identify those countries without much difficulty.
0: So, what okay? do you think are those top five? I'm names? still giving you some truth. Yes, I'm not sure. Yes, finished yes, giving the background, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to hearing your, your thoughts as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the
2: point is that after you do all that math, you have to also take into account the fact that in certain uh, certain countries, the EB-5 industry is already established. There's a nice infrastructure and there's a bit of momentum going and success builds on success. So Korea and Taiwan are clearly in the top five. And they're clearly going places, without a question. Both of them, I think, in the next five years, you're going to see expanded investment from, all right, Korea and Taiwan. So I'm not naming the other countries, which which I told you to look at the numbers for, because those are going to be much smaller. So I'm focusing on the big one. What are the big three? China, Vietnam. Well, guess what? because of the rule set aside, all three are going to explode, no question. All three, but they're not going to explode equal. They're not going to explode equal, all right? I think that oh, the, what is more important than the country composition is the overall size of it, all right? A lot of folks in the industry are thinking that, look, if it goes down from anything it goes, up in price from 500 to 800, gonna mean a smaller mark, And that's a lot of common sense, obviously, stands to reason. However, we have to keep two things in mind. One is actual market data, okay? And two is we have to understand that there is something more than just money at play here. Let's look at both quick. The actual market data that now we are seeing in multiple countries and, agents in multiple countries are reporting to us and others across this industry, is that there is no let up in demand at 800 as compared to 5. Surprising. I am surprised because I had expected a fall and I was wrong because I, I can clearly see the market data now. And part of it, the question is how, why is it happening? Now, there's clearly some of it is a bounce back effect from COVID. There's no question. There's a little bit of that. But it's not just that. The fact is that the industry has spent such a long time and so much effort in evangelizing across the world that that has had a positive impact, okay? So the 800,000 market in my mind is much larger than most people had thought. And it's very easy to cross-check. You don't have to believe me. You can go and talk to your foreign agents in many countries and they'll tell you the same thing. And time will tell if I'm wrong or right because, you know, it could be a COVID effect, but my feeling is it's not just a COVID effect. It's more good news. Yeah, that's very good news. That's very, very good news. Now, the second reason is that people make their decisions on big issues. Money is very important, but time is very important too. Time is and money. That that exact time is money, exactly. And that is what this set aside really sets us up for. Uh, It is taking away the time factor from China, Vietnam and India. And that is huge. So what does that mean in the aggregate? What does that mean in the aggregate? Most people in the industry, we have surveyed about close to 300 in the industry, big cross section, everyone. I mean, attorneys, projects, economists, business plan writers, you, you name it. And what we are seeing is most people seem to think that the industry is going to be between half a billion and a billion dollars. By contrast, just before COVID which was running at a roughly a one and a quarter billion rate. So people are expecting a fall of, you know, maybe 40%, right? In terms of total industry size. I think that's, hogwash. I think we're going to see a 200% raise in size of the industry. We're talking a 2 billion plus industry. It's not going to take too long to get there. It does take some time. And I'll tell you why it's taking time in a minute, but we will get there faster than people think. So there is a tremendous amount of opportunity in this industry, way more than most people realize. Okay, and, you know, I'm happy to come back one year later. And if you want me to eat my words, then I'll be happy to publicly do that because I'm confident of this one. Now, one caveat, and then let me tell you what is slowing it down. Why is it not happening today? One caveat is that things can go wrong. I've lived long enough to see that. Katrina did happen. Okay, the market meltdown of 2009 did happen. Russia has invaded Ukraine. So bad things can happen, but short of something like a major war, and we should all pray that it doesn't happen. We don't want war to break out anywhere in the world and people suffer everywhere. But unfortunately, that's a possibility. So if it does happen, then I could be wrong. So I mean, then if I'm wrong, I'm not not upset with that. But short of a war, I think we're going to see it. But why is it slow? It's slow because mainly because the industry is going through a massive amount of readjustment. The industry has lost in the United States close to 50% of its people in the COVID time. And not because of COVID, after November 2019, because it's a new industry. All the old players, whether they be securities attorneys, immigration attorneys, business plan writers, economists, regional center hosts, they are all having to cope with the fact that the ultimate target of the investment is now different as not only as an as an entity or as a group of people or as human beings but also as an asset class right they're having to cope with that and that is very difficult because people are adjusting to new relationships entire ecosystems Will need time to form. And that is what is slowing things down. COVID, unfortunately, still is a fact of life in some important countries like China. But even today in the United States, it's spreading. I mean, unfortunately, we've had members of our team down with COVID. And I'm sure that's the case repeated all over the world in every company. So COVID is not gone yet. It's still a factor in terms of international travel and international business and will gradually decline, as that's what all the medical experts explain to us. And, you know, since I'm not a medical expert, I'm accepting that. That's the course of the future. But because of both these reasons, one is the adjustment of the industry to the new facts on the ground, and two is the recession of COVID over time. We will see a gradual increase and I think the industry is going to be very pleasantly surprised in as little as a year from now that the raises are getting completed faster than scheduled, that there is a much more demand than they had expected. And most of the other challenges we are facing now, I mean, in terms of registration, how the hell is that going to work? No one knows. You know, What does the new the definition of um, sustainment period mean? It's a much smaller sustainment. How does that affect asset classes? That's going to change things. You know, so there's all kinds of issues coming up. Uh, How is, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, clearly we understand congressional intent was to put all pool investments through regional centers. We get that, but remember, the law is not just congressional intent; it's actually the the text of the statute. And you know, many bright attorneys have found ways to do things such as structured direct. For example, let's say you have set of franchise locations. You know, for let's say Subway as an example, right? And uh, you have. Ten locations, and you have one investor in each location in a different entity, a separate NCE, right? And they all are using the same management company to provide, you know, the staffing and a smooth operation and a profitable running of the enterprise. I mean, that's not against any kind of American business practice. There's not something Congress can legislate against. And so, therefore, serial direct remains alive. The pool direct is dead. Serial direct remains very much alive. You know, I would suspect that people are going to look at that and regional centers, you know, going forward as both potentially viable ways to continue to move forward. It's not going to be just urban real estate in Miami or New York and all regional centers. It's going to be a more diversified asset class. For sure. And more diversified set of players too.
0: Amazing. Sam, what I always love... When I'm speaking with you is hearing about your mathematical calculations, I think you must have a math background or it's maybe just a natural EB-5 superpower that you have, that you have this math talent. What is your background in math and how do you use it towards understanding the EB-5 industry to such an extent that you're able to give us such accurate predictions?
2: I'm flattered, Matt. Thank you. And you're very discerning. Most people don't get this. I appreciate what you've seen. I'm a high school dropout. Well, that's not true. I'm a high school graduate. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't drop out. I did graduate high school, but I'm an autodidact, I guess is the honest way of describing it. I've read um, close to 10,000 books uh, or many subjects, many, 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 many subjects. Uh, Certainly math has been my heart and my life and my mind uh, since uh, I was very little. My mother taught me to read, write and count, uh, you know, before I was two years old. And I did the same to my elder daughter. I'm hoping to do the same to my younger daughter now. But mathematics, say the pattern of the, studying this, the patterns of the universe, and uh, that's something which is natural to me, as natural as breathing. And to do calculus backwards when I'm in my sleep, upside down, is very comfortable feeling for me. It's not difficult. You know, mathematics is very closely allied to music, as anyone in math or music will tell you. And uh, music has been a part of every day of my life ever since I've been alive. Uh, you know, I'm the world's worst singer. <laughs> the lousiest, l- lousiest voice, but I sing every day. <laughs> uh, the only ones who appreciate my singing are my two daughters. <laughs> so so you're so, right,
0: actually. Math, music, and languages are sort of the same brain center.
2: Language yeah. is different. Music and math are very closely allied. Well, I mean, for example, I mean, it's a well-known example. When Einstein passed away at his funeral, there was a large number of musicians because they came because they said, very notable and talented violinist has passed away. And that was in fact a proper tribute to him. He was a very good violinist. But mathematics is largely visual, even though it has a very close tie to music. So my mind is untrained in mathematics, but that doesn't mean that it's not a mathematical mind. It is, mathematics is largely visual. I mean, if you look at, for example, what Einstein describes in his um, theory of general relativity, it's all visual description. I mean, he learned all of it when he was sitting in the bus uh, as a young twenties clerk in the Swiss parent Office, and he said, "What if the bus was traveling at the speed of light? What would happen in this bus? Would I see the buildings around me? Would they be equally tall or equally broad? And would the people around me look, you know, look the same? And if I got down and checked my watch and compared that with somebody else's watch, would it be different? And that's really the heart of it. It's very visual. It's very easy to understand. What I'm describing, of course, are the Lawrence Fitzgerald Trangino attractions and and the various other parts of the, the theory of general relativity. So anyway, I'm." comfortable with Matt. There is no part of Matt that I'm comfortable with. And um thank you for asking. Me.
0: Well tell us about your music. I didn't realize that uh, you also have this musical talent or appreciation.
2: No, no, no. As I told you, I'm the world's worst singer. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: play an instrument or you just love to hear music?
2: I've played almost every Indian instrument extremely badly. My parents had all of that at home and classical Indian music was a part of my life growing up. Every single year. mother sang with a much better voice than I. My father was like me, you know, L- lousy voice <laughs> but a lot of enthusiasm. And I <laughs> <laughs> Certainly better voice than mine, I would say. But in any case, uh, he sang every day. And when I came to America, of course, I, I listened to a lot of Western classical of all kinds. Modern music is less less interesting, but there are certain elements in it, I found certain Pieces of African music, Kenyan benga drums, I believe is what they're called. Uh, West African music from Sierra Leone, the blues there. So some of them are very interesting to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I do listen to music every day. That's a fact. I mean, my, my little one-year-old sits on my lap every single day and says, uh, Daddy, she just speaks a few words, but that's one of her first words is opera. Because Beautiful. we that's open wonderful. up the iPad and we listen to Mozart's operas and Sini's operas.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sam, you're charming and uh, humble at the same time. And I know, truthfully, I do know this is your EB-5 superhero talent, genius, and superpower. But I also know that you have a team of superheroes along with you. Shrikant, and the rest of your team. I don't know how you found such an amazing team who execute these fantastic events around the world. Tell us about your your team and all the great things that they're doing along with you.
2: Well, absolutely. No company can be successful with any one person. I mean, it's a team and it's always a team effort. It's always a team effort. And they for say one person to Behind yes, but,
0: every great man is a surprise mother-in-law. <laughs> No, really, I, what I mean, I'm just joking. What I mean to say is behind every great man team, a great organization is obviously an even greater team. So tell us about your wonderful team.
2: Well, I mean, my business partner and friend Shrikant, and he and I have been together since uh, high school. It's 35 plus years ago, nearly 40 years ago. And so, yeah, we've been together through thick and thin and we're very optimistic that the next few years we'll be able to get the rewards of all the hard work that we put in. And we put in a lot of hard work, but we do have other members of our team. Uh, they're of lesser vintage in our team than Srikanth. But uh, yes, we depend on all of them. Our colleagues in India do a tremendous job. We have one person working remote from Boston and uh, that's wonderful. And we've got many people here in our new york city office and we're excited every day i always look forward to coming to work you know a lot of people get excited and they say thank god it's friday <laughs> in my life it's always been thank god it's monday wow I, i'm always happy to come to work i love it what a blessing. That's I, Yeah, wonderful. i just walked to work and i am always happy to come to work sir
0: that's fantastic tell us where can we find you next when are the next ilw events and how do we sign up
2: well i mean the way to correspond with us about an event is webmaster at ilw.com Okay. It's very simple. You can call us. Our number is 212-545-0818. It's been the same number for 20 years or more, but email is preferred form. And we'd be happy to get back with you, usually in one business day. Yeah. I mean, any project that wants to be in front of agents and in front of investors in various countries, we are happy to give them that opportunity and help them get the process started to create the investor base that they need to get project going. So that's the simplest way to do it. You know, It's very straightforward. Fantastic.
0: Webmaster at ilw.com. or call the number that you've had for 20 years. EB5 superhero Sam Udani, thank you again for your friendship and leadership navigating this roller coaster EB-5 industry over all these years. And I want to give blessings to you and your family, your little one-year-old who says opera, that she should grow and make her, her parents very proud. And I know that you are making the whole industry proud with all the great things you're doing for the industry, for investors, for regional centers, for projects, and really for helping people to achieve the American dream. So thank you, Sam Udani, for everything you're doing.
2: Oh my goodness, Matt, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Matt, delighted to be here.
0: That's a wrap. Sam Udani and other EB-5 superheroes like him are the industry's best and brightest who are flying onward and upward to bring out the best in EB-5. Join me on the next episode to meet the next EB-5 superhero.
1: Thank you for listening to the EB-5 Superheroes podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the good guys and good gals who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. To access today's show notes, ask Matt a question or suggest an EB-5 superhero to be featured on the show, visit eb5superheroes.com.